And now, a presentation on the Mental Health News Radio Network. The Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Ryan, that is a freaking awesome question. You are the power, and you do not need anybody's permission. He's the only guy that ever crawled out of a grave where people didn't go, oh, ah! Don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. You're, you're a great interviewer. You're one of the best. If this is the best God can do, I am not impressed. It is an honor to welcome back to the show an individual I consider to be a teacher and a friend and a person who's got a profound insight on the past as well as the present and what future trends hold. Please welcome back to the show, Mr. Doug Casey. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm uh, speaking to you from uh, out on the farm in Uruguay, <laughs> close to Punta del Este. Excellent. Well, I can't wait to learn more about where you are, but uh, let's give everyone the website plug for you, which is internationalman.com. And you can also learn more about Doug by going to YouTube and seeing his weekly show, Doug Casey's Take. Doug, every time we talk, I feel like the world changes so dramatically. And one of the stories you've written about is talking about why all these corporations seem to be acting suicidal, like they're making some of the worst decisions possible in terms of alienating their audiences. Do you think this is intentional, or do you think that this is people in these corporations that are making these decisions without any kind of foresight? And do you think that we could be seeing this trend continue to accelerate? Well, it's been said that you should never attribute to malevolence what can be is easily explained by just plain stupidity. And um, the people that run most of these big corporations today uh, are cut from different cloth than the people that founded them. The people that found corporations that become big are entrepreneurs. They tend to be rugged individualists. They tend to be free thinkers, uh, very self-motivated. But then after a while, uh, suits take over, uh, you know, just middle managers that have made that final step up to uh, Peter's principle, where they're, they've risen to their level of incompetence. So that's what happens to most corporations. Uh, middle managers step up because they're good at and backstabbing. Now, the kind of stupid decisions they're making today are politically correct decisions uh, as a result of uh, cultural Marxists having taken over the uh, university system, the high school system, the grade school system, so that, you know, people that have come up in the last generation have been indoctrinated with idiotic values. And that's reflected with things like uh, Bud Light, which, you know, has historically been a a bro beer for frat guys, mm -hmm. uh, putting uh, putting that tranny on the front of the can and basically insulting and losing all the people that uh, that drink it. And Miller's doing the same thing now. And so I don't know if I'm answering the question, but it's uh, it's I'm just wondering if something more sinister behind it because if we're looking at all these things, Doug that seem to be inflaming uh, people, making people very upset. I don't see any uh, 
particular corporation, I don't see any particular leaders that's calling for unification. All things seem to be meant to divide. Like I wonder if these corporations are doing these ads on purpose because they want to spread chaos. If sometimes they're, they're taking these positions on social issues and these politicians are taking those positions on social issues, not because they really believe them, but because they want to sow the seeds of chaos in order to usher in a great reset or a collapse of the U.S. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see, I've always heard that terminology uh, called the useful idiot. And in the last three years, I've never seen so many people just willingly acquiesce to whatever the government's saying and not give it a second thought. So I wouldn't be, I don't know, do you, do you think that that's part of a greater sinister plot that all that to being used to collapse the U.S. to bring in the Great Reset? Or is this maybe just a byproduct of mindless stupidity based on the values people have been taught? Well, look, uh, the, Amer- the U.S. government in Washington, D.C. has been totally captured and it's controlled by Jacobins, uh, cultural Marxists, um, <laughs> veritable Bolsheviks. And once a group controls the apparatus of the state, its values filter throughout all of society. So uh, that's part of it. These corporate people uh, basically follow the lead from the people in government. And of course, the people in government think the way they do because they've been indoctrinated by the education system, which has long been captured by you know, people of a, a socialist or even communist bent. So I don't, look, people like, <clears throat> well-known people like George Soros and Klaus Schwab I would say that these people are genuinely malevolent and evil and have a lot of influence. But uh, the corporate guys, the guys that run these corporations, these empty suits that I talked about a moment ago, they're just stupid. They're just following the lead. So, uh, But it's, it seems to me that it's going to get worse uh, for the indefinite future. Trends in motion tend to stay in motion and even accelerate in, until they run into a brick wall. Now, is that going to happen in the U.S.? Things, is the current trend of degradation going to uh, stop and turn around? Uh, I, I question that. Uh, it's got too much momentum. Well, what do you think could be a brick wall? Would it, uh, do you think it could be the, the loss of the dollar being the world's reserve status or people going to a hyperinflation or when everyone experiences a substantial level of pain and suffering that they haven't experienced before, is that something that could do it? Or do you think that if maybe you have a handful of states decide to have their own rules and they, they try to kind of break away from the greater influence of, of Washington, do you think that could be a, a brick wall? Well, we are heading for a financial brick wall. Uh, the stock market is greatly overpriced, in my opinion. The bond market, uh, it's no longer in a hyper bubble, which it was a few years ago, but it's still way overpriced. Uh, so yeah, we could have, we could hit a financial brick wall where um, uh, people see their uh, their pension funds and, and, and their savings in the stock, stock and bond markets uh, lose a lot of value. And the next thing would be an economic brick wall where we have lots of corporate failures and uh, lots of unemployment. 
Uh, and of course, we're seeing this with the uh, with the banks today, which are in a lot of trouble. Almost all of the U.S. banks are bankrupt, quite frankly. And that's going to lead us to a social brick wall where uh, people that thought they had stuff lose it. And they just go wild. Uh, certainly the people live in the in the cities will, but even in the suburbs, because the whole point from the government right on down. So uh, I'm anticipating rough times, uh, Ryan. Okay. They're on their way. They're near at hand. Well, is there anything that you would recommend people can do that do not want to be a victim of these rough times or want to prepare for it? Is it recommend maybe leaving the country for a few years? Or if you have to stay, what, what can you do to insulate yourself? Well, look, for years, I've advocated being multinational. Uh, in other words, just because you're born in one country doesn't mean that you should uh, be rooted to it like a plant, because acting like a plant isn't a good survival strategy for a human being. So, um, look, people that grew up in um, Russia had their lives overturned in 1917. People that grew up in Germany had their lives overturned in 1933. Uh, people that grew up in China had their lives overturned in the 40s. And people in the, Vietnam had everything uh, destroyed and overturned in the 70s. So this happens everywhere. Now, we've been uniquely blessed in the U.S. We've had a stable society. We've, the U.S. has been unique among countries of the world in that uh, it epitomizes the values of Western civilization. But they're being washed away as we speak. So uh, I understand that you know, the idea of... Uh, most Americans diversifying internationally it seems unpatriotic, and, and they're so rooted to where they are. I mean, people I went to high school with are still living in the same town that I met them at in high school. So it, it, it's hard to do that, but it's wise to do it. And the other thing is a lot of people aren't in a financial situation that they can afford to diversify internationally. That's a problem. Uh, I'm just saying that if you can, you should diversify internationally. That's step number one, because your main risks in the world today uh, aren't financial. Financial risks are very serious today. Economic risks are very serious today. But your biggest risk is political. It's, in other words, it's what the government is going to do to you uh, through its taxes, through its regulations, and maybe things will get more serious than that. Um, so that's what I'm saying. But you've got to put yourself in a position where you, you can diversify. I mean, it's one thing to recognize you should, but it's something else to uh, actually do it. Okay. Well. Uh for a friendly reminder, go to internationalman.com. There are a lot of wonderful topics and articles, and you've discussed that. And one big topic that seems to be coming up here, growing a lot uh, more loud, is central bank digital currencies. 
And I recall hearing an interview with Catherine Austin Fitz, and she was saying, well, in terms of that could be used, I think I'm pretty sure that's what she was saying, that if you had a situation of hyperinflation, you couldn't have a hyperinflation situation or a bank run with central bank digital currencies because you have a lot of amount of credits that are on there that'll expire after a certain period of time. And, you know, so you wouldn't have these bank runs, but at the same time, the government would know everything about you. So from your perspective, do you foresee central bank digital currencies becoming a success in the U.S.? And if so, do you think that how soon could that happen? Would that be the end game? Or do you think that there's going to be a reasonable resistance to it? Because at some point they were trying to prevent people that weren't vaccinated from entering into buildings, from buying food, at least in New York. And that did not seem to be successful. So I'm wondering, just based on that alone, will central bank digital currencies be successful worldwide or will there be a, a substantial pushback in the U.S.? Well, all over the world, governments who seem to operate together yeah. uh, in many ways, as they did during the recent COVID hysteria, uh, governments everywhere are, are trying to uh, herd uh the average guy into accepting these central bank digital currencies. They're an extremely bad idea from every point of view. Uh, they're kind of like the uh, final arrow in the quiver of central bankers to keep the old system going. First, they tried quantitative easing, massive inflation of the currency. And they tried zero interest rate policies uh, driving interest rates to less than zero. And both of these things caused tremendous distortions. And uh, of course, it was the rich people that benefited from this, not the little guy. But uh, central bank digital currencies essentially mean when they're fully implemented, it means that you're not going to have paper currency in your wallet. Not that paper currency is a good thing, but it's much better than uh, everything being digitized in your cell phone. It means that if you're, if you're naughty or uh, politically incorrect, you have no wealth that doesn't exist on your cell phone. Uh, and it can be, you can be canceled or cut off. It gives huge power, tremendous power to the people that control that digital currency. They're very dangerous. Uh, I'm, I advocate that individuals should control their own lives. And in order to be able to do that, you need to be able to have wealth that you control that somebody else can't take away from you arbitrarily and easily, which they'll be able to do and uh, with central bank digital currencies. So, uh, the average individual should fight it tooth and nail. But I'm afraid that the average American is going to think, gee, this is so convenient being able to buy my coffee at Starbucks just by pushing a button on my cell phone and having my, uh, my, my central account debited. So I'm not optimistic as to how this is going to end. Hey, you know, I wonder, because I think it would be really hard to rob someone. How would you rob someone? You know, let's shake them down and rob banks with all these digital currencies. I mean, they, maybe they would tout that. But it's kind of interesting that. Well, you, you, no, actually, robbing banks will become easier because hackers will be able to do it through fraud. So you're not going to use a gun 
to rob a bank, you'll use your computer to rob the bank or anything else. What did, uh, what did Al Capone said? He said that one lawyer with the pen can steal 10 times more than 10 men can with guns. And that's essentially what CBDCs are all about. I just, I wonder if they'll be able to, to do it. So many people use cash. Some some people don't even have bank accounts. And I wonder if it would take a, a large force to fully implement and put that out there. I wonder if, they, if, the, if the governments around the world have the resources to implement those because, you know, even people when vaccines were trying to push the vax mandates, people went to businesses and honored businesses that, that, that didn't care if you had, if we had the shot or not. So I don't know. I'm hopeful in that. And another thing that kind of gives me hope, Doug, and I appreciate your answer is, I love Tom DiLorenzo's book called The Problem of Socialism. And he really explains it. I think he lays that very simplistically about how once people are under these extreme government controls, that they don't have any incentive at all to produce whatsoever. So like these people that are running everything, they, they try to do it. And now more than ever, I'm seeing more and more Americans kind of more comfortable with this. Last week, I went to uh, this town hall because they were trying to raise property taxes for the eighth time in 10 years. None of these people on the board, Doug, had any experience in the real world. I don't even think they were they ever had a job outside whatever system they were in. And most people that were there, they acted like piranhas feasting on a whale. And the whale being people that actually produce, and the piranhas were people that don't produce. And it seems to be that we got so comfortable as a society where people are just doing this. So... I'm just curious, is there anything you think that can be done to actually reverse this? Or is this something that we're going to have to face and endure for the foreseeable future? I'm afraid the only thing that can stop the trend is what's likely to happen, uh, an actual catastrophic collapse in society. It's taken generations for the average American to be corrupted. And we've reached a stage now where a lot of average Americans want to see a guaranteed annual income, where the government just gives them money for existing. Uh, and all they have to do is stay at home and play video games or watch the, their widescreen and uh, exist. I mean, that's the, way evolve, that's the way things are evolving, uh, in point of fact, uh, where government bureaucrats who are who don't produce anything, as you said. No. They're essentially parasites, but they view themselves as the elite, and they are promoted as the elite. But uh, they're actually the worst kind of people, the people that go into government. They're people, that want to, they're people that want to control other people, as opposed to people that want to create things and control physical reality. They're all about controlling other people. Dangerous, and they cement themselves into position, and it's going to be hard to get rid of them. Uh, not a good prognosis again. Listen, I'm sorry for sounding so gloomy. Uh, no, you're honest. It, it, I, we appreciate it, because I'd rather we know the truth than dance around and tap around a, a false reality. And I think a lot of people are living in a delusion. So I, the fact that you're, you're, you're telling it like it is, it is so appreciative and so welcomed. So thank you. Well, the question is, is what, what should a person that's listening to us now do? Mm -hmm. 
Now, I've already mentioned that since your biggest risks, uh, as big as your financial risks are, your biggest risk is a political risk. The way you solve that is by diversifying politically. Okay, that's one thing, but that's hard for people to do for a lot of reasons. Uh, What can you do as a practical matter? Uh, We're heading into something I call the Greater Depression, uh, a period of time when the average standard of living drops a lot. So if I'm right about the way the economy is going, what should you do to defend yourself against that? Well, I would say right now, when we still have something that looks kind of like good times, it would be to uh, work more and save more and consume less and put the money that you have, don't leave it in dollars, that's a mistake at this point, but um, uh, I would say, first of all, you should build your savings with gold and silver coins, which have historically been money, uh, and um, learn to speculate because the markets are going to be going up and down like an elevator with a lunatic at the controls, which is actually an accurate analogy. So uh, most of the real wealth will still be here as the depression uh, winds on. Um, And if you understand economics and understand how you speculate, I'm not talking about gamble. Don't confuse the two, very different. Uh, It's possible to grow in wealth at a time when most people are losing wealth. Not easy, but possible. And you want to be aware that this can be done. So I think that's what the average guy's got to do. Work a lot harder, work two jobs, uh, spend a lot less, put the savings in intelligent places. And uh, the next 10 years, I think, are going to be very, very rough. So you've got to prepare for it. And if you if you are happen to be in the U.S., I mean, let's say, are there three countries outside the U.S. that you think would probably have a more pleasant experience in the next 10 years? And if you happen to be stuck in the U.S., are there a couple of states that you think would probably be a, a safer bet as opposed to the other 47 states? Well, within the U.S., you definitely want to be in a red state, so-called, as opposed to a blue state. That means that you're going to be better off uh, in a place like uh, Texas or as opposed to California, Florida, as opposed to New York, uh, preferably uh, someplace out in the mountain states, which have low population density and uh, tend to have traditional values. So if you're going to stay in the U.S., uh, don't be in a big city. Uh, that's great if you're young. It's great if you're earning money. So I understand the advantages of being in a big city. But um, if you can, uh, it's best to have a crib out in the country, too. Um, Internationally speaking, uh, you know, historically, the U.S. has always been the freest and the most prosperous, prosperous because it's been the freest, incidentally, uh, country in the world. But that's changing now. And um, uh, 
organizations that monitor these things uh, put the U.S. down uh, something in the order of 15th in terms of personal freedom of all the world's countries. Uh, and, you know, seventh or eighth in terms of standard of living and lower than that in terms of average health. So the U.S. has actually been going downhill for the last 50 years, essentially, since the Vietnam War and the devaluation of the dollar under Nixon. It's been, you know, it's been a bumpy ride, but generally heading down. And uh, I don't think that trend is going to change uh, at any time soon. Hey, despite that negative trend, do you find that Americans are still in the best position as opposed to other people in other countries in the world to resist tyranny because of the amount of uh, private gun ownership that's out there? Do you find it? So even though this quality, the standard of living may be going down, even though things may be getting more repressive, do these other countries that have a higher standard of living, do they have the means of resisting their government should they become totally tyrannical compared to well, the U.S.? yeah. It seems to me that it's mostly a matter of psychology more than armaments. Because if uh, the state directs its attention towards you as an individual, uh, being well-armed personally isn't going to help that much when a squad of police or a squad of FBI agents arrive at your door. So under those circumstances... Uh, guns don't actually help that much. It's uh, it's 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 a real problem. Uh, I'm very pro-gun. They're great things to have, and everybody should have several of them at least. But um, when it comes to resisting the power of the state, it's going to be tough because you really can't organize against the government, especially with the FBI and organizations like that. Uh, having infiltrated almost everywhere uh, that people aren't uh, either brain dead or pro-government, which are pretty much the same things. It's, it's a, once again, it's a real problem, Ryan. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on. Uh, my understanding is, wait, are you, did you used to go to church? Were you a former Christian? No, no, I'm, uh, I'm not a religious person. I, uh, I I I I grew up a uh, uh, a Roman Catholic, but okay. uh, it wasn't long before I realized that uh, you know I, I don't like being indoctrinated, whether it be politically or religiously or any other way. Uh, either I'm a former Roman Catholic, and I I was indoctrinated, and I was indoctrinated into the system and all these other things. But there's one takeaway I, I'd say I observed about. A church, or observed about you know the, the these cult of personalities and people who get involved, is that there seems to be this enthusiasm and passion and unification to be on board with moving uh, an ideal or agenda going forward. And I love and respect all people that believe in freedom and people that would never infringe upon the will of another people. But at the same time, I don't see a type of uh, passion or sentimentation the same way I would see. In a religious group, I was wondering, is there any particular reason why people who are very pro-freedom don't necessarily, uh, at least from the way I see it, work together in groups to push and counterbalance some of these other people that would be more radicalized that are pushing an agenda, completely counterbalancing freedom? Well, 
maybe Frank Sinatra said it best. Hey, anything that helps get you through the night is okay. And um, people like to glom onto something that's bigger than they are, something that can lend them comfort with the travails of living. Mm. And um, religion does that. So um, it almost doesn't matter what religion uh, you prefer. Uh, they all offer you, you know, something bigger than you are, something to believe in, something to salve your your current temporal problems. So I, I, I think that's why people go for religion. Okay. But uh, look, in the U.S., I I also have a still have a house in the U.S. and the place where I live is is quite rural. And there seems to be a church every half mile when I'm driving down the road, uh, going to the nearest town. In fact, there's, there's one every half mile uh, on the road to any nearby town. And that's fine because it means that it's a culturally stable area where people believe in something, okay? And the values that um, our preachers, uh, most of them, put out in their sermons are, you know, generally pretty commonsensical, reasonable, good values. So um, that's fine. Okay. And uh, Doug, the final question we have for you is you had these four predictions that came out for 2013. One of them was about CBDCs, about uh, carbon, how they're going to try to push the green energy. They may do another um, push for COVID, something related to that. And uh, more widespread cultural degradation. Are there any new predictions that you've had the past couple of months? Do you see any of your predictions becoming um, more rapid or going to be coming to fruition faster? Or do you think that uh, maybe some of those predictions that you came up with are not going to come to fruition? Maybe they'll come three years later. Or do you have anything new that could be on the horizon that we haven't seen yet? Well, I think the uh, powers that be, uh, this their experiment with COVID, which is basically a giant scam, uh, basically a variety of the flu. Very few people died from it, and the people that did die from it were very old and very sick or very fat. Uh, otherwise, it's just a, a variety of the annual flu. Uh, most people died from hysteria. Uh, but uh, I suspect because it facilitated control so much that there's going to be something else after COVID. Yeah, so that'll happen. Um, but the big thing that's not going to go away anytime soon is this whole global warming scam, climate change scam. Uh, the Earth's climate has been changing for about four and a half billion years, and it'll continue to change. Uh, but keeping things in context, the world has been generally getting warmer since the end of the last ice age, uh, roughly 12,000 years ago. Warmer, cooler, warmer, cooler, but generally warming up after the end of the ice age where 12,000 years ago, uh, North America was covered with ice sheets a couple of miles thick, as far south as New York City and Chicago. Uh, so 
they're going to make a big deal out of this because carbon dioxide or carbon, I should say, has become the new enemy element. You know, that's going to kill us all. Uh, carbon, the uh, basis of all life, is going to kill us all. It's, it's actually rather perverse. And kids are indoctrinated into it, and everybody believes in it. It's like it's like a, a giant secular religion. Uh, eat less, drive less, fly less, keep your house cold. I mean, it's completely insane. Uh, so that's part of it. And, of course, war, uh, this crazy war, this, this, it, it's a... It's a, a border war between two shithole countries, Russia and the Ukraine, that the U.S. has absolutely no reason to get involved in. Um, and when you look at the objective facts, although I totally disapprove of one country invading another, and Russia did invade the Ukraine, but it was with a lot of provocation. So... Um, but we're bound to get involved in more foreign wars. Maybe the next one is going to be hunting big game like uh, China, for, uh, perhaps. Jeez, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine the U.S. Uh, what would the U.S. would be like after that one. Oh, God. I mean, you just can't play with nuclear weapons. Yeah. And in addition to that, uh, you could be playing with biological weapons, which in today's world make a lot more sense. Biological weapons than nuclear weapons. And uh, cyber weapons, uh, the whole world runs on computers. Computers are absolutely everywhere. Uh, you can't do anything. You can't pump gas. You can't heat your house. You can't do your banking. You can't ship things. You can't do anything without computers. So a cyber war could be unbelievably de devastating as well. Uh, somebody's going to push some kind of a button at some point uh, in the years to come. It seems, I mean, wars have not been banished. Uh, in fact, with the growth of the state everywhere in the world, uh, uh, wars have uh, become more likely than they've ever been in the past. So uh, uh, serious consideration. Hey. Doug Casey, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I know that was not uh, the content you said and the information and insights that you shared. Probably weren't music to uh, some people's ears, but at the same time, it was the truth. And you have to know what the truth is and seek it out all steps of the way. I want to tell you how much we appreciate it. And I want to let everyone know that you can learn more about Mr. Casey by going to his website at internationalman.com. And also, if you want to read three phenomenal books, highly recommend you get these three books by Doug. Assassin, book three, The High Ground of Novels. Uh, there's also book two, Drug Lord and Speculator. And we'll post links to all three books. Doug, thank you so much. Appreciate it, Ryan. Have a good day. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our unbelievable guest, and special thanks as always to our virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor, Miss Constance Dallas, and our social producer, Jenny Lamisa. To learn more about the Out of Limits of Inner Truth, please go to our website at outoflimitsradio.com. And till the next time we meet, my friends, I wish upon you an abundance of peace. Love and beers. Yay! Take care and thank you so much for listening.